0: Hello and welcome to this bonus episode of Ocean Matters. I'm Izzy Clark, the producer of this series from the Bertarelli Foundation, and these bonus podcasts are a chance to revisit topics and explore extra content from the main episode. In episode two, we explored the declining state of coral reefs around the world and the research that's trying to save them. Understanding how and when corals breed could be key to their survival, but it's always been a bit of a mystery. It's quite an unpredictable process. But today's guest has potentially cracked the code. I'm joined by Dr. Jamie Craggs, who's the aquarium curator at the Horniman Museum and Gardens in London. Hi, Jamie.
1: Hello. Thank you for speaking with me
0: before we get onto your work dr bry wilson told us in episode 2 that corals reproduce in two different ways we have the brooding coral and the broadcast spawners so what's the difference between the two
1: the brooding corals about 15% of coral species are, are what are called brooders and they ultimately fertilize their eggs inside the coral animal themselves and then those eggs then divide over a you know a few days and then form something called a planula larvae and that larvae is then released it swims around and then settles and grows into into the coral that we know. Whereas the broadcast spawners, which is the the biggest reproductive mode or the most common reproductive mode in corals, so the remaining eighty five percent, um, are you know characterized by this sort of mass release of eggs and sperm into the water column. So fertilise happens externally in the water column, so it's not happening inside the animal. So that's the the broad difference, is broadcast spawners fertilising externally, brooders fertilising internally.
0: Why is breeding coral in the wild a bit of a mystery?
1: Research around broadcast spawning started in the early 80s. The mass spawning that happens on the Great Barrier Reef was the first phenomenon that was was discovered. And lots of research has has now gone on to try and understand what triggers these, these big mass spawning events that happen over a few nights each year. What we do know is the ocean temperature plays a role in that, the length of day, and then also the lunar cycle And all of these factors appear to work at what's called a progressively finer scale to trigger the corals to go. Literally, you can set your watch by some species to say, right, it's going to go on this night and and at nine o'clock at night and. And sure enough, they, they can start behaving like that.
0: Gosh, that's amazing. I understand that you've taken some of that knowledge and you've applied it to your own research. So can you tell me a little bit about the conservation work that's going on at the Horniman Museum?
1: When we put the question to ourselves, you know, how could we get these broadcast corals to spawn in in an aquarium environment, but do that in a very planned and predictable way? So broadcast spawning had occurred in public aquariums and people's home aquariums, but it had always been accidental. So what we wanted to do is look at what happens in the in the wild that triggers these spawning events and then how can we replicate those in aquarium environment. So we've got microprocessors attached to our aquariums that control all of the temperature range. They turn the heaters on and, and chillers on to make sure that we regulate and follow that seasonal fluctuation. We can control the length of day and also the intensity of the sun using led lighting and then we can also control the waxing and the waning of the moon again using led lighting so we can provide all of the environmental parameters that that are required to trigger these spawning events in aquariums in essence
0: essentially you could say okay i've got the broadcast spawning coral here i'm going to mimic the environmental factors of the great barrier reef or something and And you can do that in your lab in London.
1: uh, Absolutely now. I mean, it took probably four or five years to really fine tune the technique. Fundamentally, the reason why we're doing this, though, and there, there should always be a reason behind any research or any conservation work that an aquarium or a zoo is doing. What we do know is that reefs are in a really bad shape. You know, we know that climate change is causing a lot of problems. Pollution is putting a lot of pressure on corals. If we want to understand how corals are going to respond to these pressures in the future, understanding reproduction is critical to that because obviously that's how a, a population and therefore a species continues into the future. So understanding reproduction creates that really important grounding of them predicting how a population will respond as a result of these pressures. So initially our work was about developing the process so that we could predictably spawn these these animals in an aquarium environment in a very controlled way that platform has now allowed a whole myriad of research to then take place off of that that foundation of predictably spawning and that research can be you know understanding reproduction at a fundamental level understanding differences between species different individuals within those species it can be exploring techniques of how we can maximize the output uh, from these coral spawning events so that we might be able to produce more offspring those offspring could potentially be used for a restoration program where you're breeding corals to rebuild a damaged reef for instance and while we're not specifically focusing on rebuilding reefs in london what we're doing is we're building or, or designing the techniques and the Uh, The processes so that other partners can utilise these techniques uh, for exactly that gain, that conservation gain of rebuilding habitat.
0: Yeah, uh, and that's what I wanted to touch on. How successful has this been? You've mentioned there that perhaps this isn't the route for restoring reefs.
1: So we've now spawned 25 species. That's a massive gain and an advance there's there's obviously hundreds of species of corals so there's an awful lot more work to do you know it started off that we may only get one or two juveniles through from each spawning from each each colony now we're we're into the hundreds for each coral produced so we've made good gains but there's an awful lot more work to do you know obviously hundreds of corals really will not restore a reef we're talking about thousands of corals and expanding this out into um, you know a much bigger program. We work with Florida Aquarium very closely. They have built a specific facility dedicated to restoring reefs along the Florida Reef Tract. Their first spawning in 2017, they were working with two critically endangered species from the Florida Reef Tract. And those two species, there's probably only about 200 individuals of each of those species left along the Florida Reef Tract. In that single spawning in 2017, they produce over 2,000 new individuals. So they are already a, a massively increasing the genetic material available. You know, we see this as just one small stepping stone and they're really going to expand up this initiative as the years go on.
0: That's really exciting and, it, and it's such good news, especially given the states of coral reefs. So what do these spawning events actually look like? What does it look like in your aquarium?
1: So we we know when they're going to go. So what we, in essence, do is we will turn all the pumps off uh, in because if we left the pumps on, they would suck all the the eggs up and destroy the eggs. So there's no water movement um, at the point of spawning. And that means when they spawn, they are releasing these packages and their egg sperm packages. The eggs are filled with fat, which is buoyant. So they very gently float up to the surface. And in essence, it looks like it's snowing, but upside down. It's very tranquil. It's like a living lava lamp. And um, it's a beautiful, beautiful thing to watch. I finished my PhD um, about 18 months ago, and I wanted to teach my kids how to do this. So we, we have a reef tank at home with corals in, and we programmed all the system. And last year, they got to see all the spawning in our kitchen at home it was brilliant.
0: I'm so jealous. <laughs> is there anywhere that we can actually see that?
1: I, I love photography and videography and I try and incorporate that um, into my work as much as possible. So whenever the corals are, are ready to spawn, I'll always take you know one or two out, put it into the photography tank and, and film this incredible spectacle because it is genuinely a beautiful thing to witness.
0: And Jamie, finally, in your opinion, what are the next big things? What's the next step? for coral research.
1: What we have is an opportunity in London to actually start exploring different reefs from different areas of the world. And we can bring corals from those different locations back to London and we can shift the reproductive cycles so that they match up. So we can mix you know, sperm from corals that are spawning from one location with eggs from another location. And that then creates the foundations for doing much more in-depth genetic analysis to understand which genes are responsible for hardiness, for, for instance, of, of corals in the face of climate change.
0: And then with that, that just means these corals could be more resilient to higher temperatures. So... If we are going to see these increasing temperature events, which are quite worrying, and obviously they are a big threat to corals, that hopefully this is a step towards some sort of solution.
1: Yeah. And and there's you know, many scientists are working on this in, in different aspects around the world. But this concept of selectively breeding hardier corals um, to, that might be able to withstand some of the impacts of climate change in the short term to give that opportunity for the bigger problems of, of climate change to be worked on. So anything we can do to buy them more time for adaption is a good way forward.
0: Thank you very much. That's Dr Jamie Craggs from the Horniman Museum. That's it for this bonus episode. If you haven't already, please subscribe to Ocean Matters so you're the first to know when the next episode is out. And next time we'll be exploring the importance of seabirds. I'm Izzy Clark and Ocean Matters is a Fresh Air production for the Bertarelli Foundation.